His name is Steve Masters, and uh, I think uh, Brother Steve, Preston and I started college in 1996, and we would visit over, it was called the BSU, Baptist Student Union at the time. But Brother Steve's been there for 23 years, and he's going to be bringing the word for us this morning. I told him how uh, loving and friendly and how, how many amens he was going to get, all right, this morning. And so uh, we're ready, and we're just excited. And uh, as Pastor Preston's out for the next couple of weeks, we just want to say thank you for taking time this morning to come and share God's word with us. So if you could at this time, let's clap our hands and make Brother Steve feel welcome. You know, uh, speakers, pastors are supposed to tell kind of old jokes, and I'm 57, so I'll tell you one. Uh, There was a a guy that was doing the same thing I'm doing. He was was called to to speak at a church, and... um, so he went to the church, and he, and he spoke, and after it was all over, one of the older ladies came up to him and said, you know, when you break a, a window, you know, he, he gave an example that when you break a window and you put something into it, you, you might put like a cardboard or something like that to replacement. After the message was over, she came up to him and said, well, you weren't just a replacement, you were a real pain. Uh, <laughs> that's the best I could do. So. <laughs> Praise band, excellent job. That's a great job of praise and worship, great selection of songs, and I know you guys are going through some, some change with your music style and everything else. I just want to remind you, think about the words. I, every, every song that was sung today could be a message. Every song that was sung has got you know message. And I, I've been a part of the, uh, of the praise and worship movement. I like traditional. I actually toined, uh, coined a term. Churches should call a minister music that's triblendinary. It does traditional, blended, and contemporary. So <laughs> but I do think it's, I think it's going to be a great way for you to reach out to this community with the new praise and worship, and I wish you the best. And it was an excellent, excellent job. Um, I'm director, I want to take just a quick me- method and t- a second and tell you about the Baptist Schools. I mean, the first thing I want to do is tell you why we changed our name. Our name was Baptist Student Union for about 40 years. I was a Baptist Student Union student. I was a Baptist Student Union director at Arkansas Tech for five years, Oklahoma State for four, and then I came to LSU in 91. And the word student was the problem. A lot of our church, like if I went right now to a Stream Baptist church, or I went to a good, uh, it, just church, I could tell you church after church in our city, Woodlawn Baptist Church and Broadmoor Baptist Church, there's no longer a youth ministry. Do you know that? They changed the word student about 15 years ago. They became national, then it became local, then it, you know, regional and state. So we'd be at a meeting, and I'd say student, I'm an 18 to 22-year-old, and they'd say student, they meant ninth grader. So there were so many more of them, we had to choose a word that was more uh, you know, specific of what we were doing. That's the only reason for the change. Now, some, there's a misnomer out there. There's an urban myth that it was changed because Black Student Union wanted it, and that's not true. But there were some back, Black Student Unions in Florida that were having beer bust, and that didn't look real good when it said BSU beer bust. You know, so, but but that the name was just strictly changed for that particular word. So I thought my daughter was about seventh grade at the time, and she she t- uh, called the state director John Moore, who she's real close to, was my boss, and said, John, I will never be a BCMer. I'm going to be a BSUer for life. And I had a lady call me and say, why are, uh, she called, a senior adult lady called and said, why are you changing that name? And I said, well, let me give you John Moore's number. <laughs> so but that's what it was all about. The, BSH, the BCM exists to share the gospel of Christ. We're representing your church. Your church financially supports us through the Louisiana Baptist Convention. Every, every, we're a cooperative program dollars, go to LBC. That money comes back and pays for my salary. So thank you. I'm an employee of your church. And I'm a representative of your church out on the campus. The local association, which you guys give money to, which Tommy Middleton is director of missions, Babis, and I think he's going to be one of the speakers. I think Dr. Hank is going to be one of the speakers. So you have all these different agencies that are going to be a part of your, of your flow of people coming through. And the money that you give locally pays for operation, pays for our building and our electricity, that type of thing. 
We exist on the campus to share the gospel of Christ, to help students to grow and mature in their faith, to help students to, to reach out on campus. We have about four to 500 students a week do various things we do. One of the most exciting things that's happening right now is we have 1,800 international students at LSU from 126 countries. Now let that soak in for a second. 126 countries are at LSU. So God brings them to us. By the way, there's 800,000 international students studying in the U.S. right now. So it's a huge mass. And so we have a, a dinner for them every Monday night. Have about 60 or 70 come. We have had several of them come to know Christ. Uh, just a lot of them involved in various things. Uh, we have right now there's probably 60 students from our Baptist College ministry that are serving someplace full-time this summer. They're serving in as missionaries, church camp staffers. They're serving with Wingate, with Centrifuge, Missionfuge. I could go on down the list. My associate director, Sarah, left, left, left last week with 10 of our students, and they're in Johannesburg, South Africa right now this morning, worshiping there. I'm leaving on July 9th and doing something kind of unique. Uh, they asked me to lead a team up the Amazon River to build a church, and I'm leaving on July 9th, which is next week, and my dad is 79 years old, who's a retired contractor, is going with me. When they said we've got to build a church, I said, I can lead the team, you build the church. <laughs> so I'm excited about that. So that's a little bit about us. If you're ever out on campus, we'd love to have you stop by and see us. Tell you about myself, I've got three daughters, three son-in-laws. My youngest daughter just got married uh, two weeks ago. I have five grandkids, and so that's a little bit about me. Uh, what I want to talk to you guys about today is one of, if I, you know, I, obviously I think the most important thing in the gospel is, is about Jesus Christ and salvation. That's the beginning point of our spiritual life. After salvation, though, I'm going uh, to talk today about discipleship. If I was to pull your church leaders together and say, okay, after salvation, what is the role of the church? I think we'd agree on discipleship. What is the role of the individual believer? I think we would agree on discipleship. A couple of key verses that I would share with you related to discipleship is Matthew 28, 18 to 20. By the way, I'm going to share a lot of scriptures today. It's kind of a, there's, there's three different kinds of messages preachers give. Sometimes it's expository. They take a verse, passage, and go word by word, verse by verse. Sometimes they take a topic and go topic. Sometimes they take a character study. I'm not going to do much character study today, but I'm going to combine a little bit of the expository with the, the, uh, the expository passage you want to look at is Acts 2, 42 to 47. That's our main passage, which we'll be coming back to several different times. And, uh, but I'm going to share a lot of other scriptures that go along with my message on the topic of discipleship. Matthew 20, 18 and 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, teaching and baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Disciples, what is a disciple? A disciple is a follower, someone that follows someone. We're to be a disciple of Christ. We're to take on his mannerisms. We're to take on his heart, his passions. We're to be like Christ in all we say and do. Now, another very important passage of Scripture is 2 Timothy 2.2 in regards to discipleship. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. Now, Timothy was a young pastor, had a tendency to be a little bit uh, you know, unsure at times, maybe not as strong-willed as, as Paul would want him. But Paul gave him some great advice, and he said, the things you've entrusted to me, the tr you've entrusted to me these I mean, the things you've learned from me, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Think about that. There's four generations there. There's Paul speaking to Timothy. The things you've learned from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to others who will be able to teach others also. And that's what we're called to do, isn't it? If your church is going to grow, it's going to come through discipleship. It's going to come through people investing, loving, caring, helping people to grow and mature in their faith. So we're going to look today at some practicalities of what discipleship really means. Now, I'm actually going to give some, some background before I get into Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 23, is the replacing of Judas. You know, Judas had betrayed Christ, and the disciples went back. Christ spent time with them. He ascended to be with the Father in this passage of Scripture, and then they replaced Judas. So that's what happens there. 
Well, right after that happened, they, Pentecost occurred. Now, Pentecost, as you know, was a major, major celebration of the Jewish people. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 36, Paul gets up and speaks a great message. Now, I'm fascinated by sound systems. By the way, I, I commend your praise band today. Sometimes the contemporary praise band can be, and I've, I've been listening to them for 35 years, can be overwhelming. But I thought your sound guy did a great job. It was loud enough, but it wasn't so loud that it just blows you away, right? And I'm, I'm fascinated by sound systems because it's something I have to deal with all the time. And uh, what, what fascinates me about this message that Paul gave is 3,000 people came to know Christ, Lord, and Savior without a sound system. <laughs> you know Without a sound system. And it just fascinates me because I'm, you know, our chapel is designed at our BCM where sound goes backwards and forwards. So the praise band, you guys could actually play there in our chapel and you don't need as much sound because it's going backwards and forwards. When we built our new worship center, it's kind of a little bit more of a wraparound and we've got sound panels in the back. So we need more sound system in our worship center than we do otherwise. This room right here, it's kind of a little bit of both. It, you know, bounces a little bit, but it's still, but it just fascinates me that there was, he gave such a powerful message that 3,000 people came to know Christ the Lord. That doesn't include the others that are there. Now, you guys have been at Tiger Stadium. You know, Tiger Stadium, the, the student section over there is about eight or 9,000 students in the general seating and then five or 6,000 there. Think about that. There was that many people there. Can you imagine uh, you know, Peter being out there on the field trying to talk to that group? Even the kids, you know, they're making noise in the background, but it was a tremendous message, wasn't it? And we could spend, you could spend the next two years just looking at that one passage of Scripture all the things that Christ talked about, but we're not going to do that today. So we're going to move on. Now, we get to verse 37. The people were pierced. Paul had given this great message. He said, what should we do? And, Christ, and Peter said to him, accept Christ, Lord and Savior. And then immediately after that, which is verse 37 to 41, which is the invitation, immediately after that, we get into what I would call the, the major passage of Scripture in the entire New Testament on discipleship. And let's look at it. They, that's a reference now. Think about that. That's a reference to the 3,000 that just came to know Christ, Lord, and Savior. It's also a reference to Matthew and Mark and Peter and John and all the disciples being with Christ. Now, in church terms, as Steve and I know this, when you're, like uh, today, I asked him about your, your church. And I said, how big is your Sunday school? How big is your worship? You know, those are, those are church terms. We, we, when we're ministers are talking to each other, how big a church do you got? That's a couple terms we use. And then we'll always ask, Who's your, how's your Wednesday night crowd? Now, what's your Wednesday night crowd is usually your smallest group, but it's usually your hardest workers, right? It's your people that put in the most time and do the most things. And so, uh, in talking terminology right there, that they, though, is a reference to everybody. It doesn't matter if it was the person that just comes in on Sunday morning and sits there. It, doesn't even, it could even have been some of the Easter crowd. Probably not. You know what I'm talking about? But it's really your people that come on a regular basis. Devoted. Now, that's a key word. All right, now, I'm trying to become a better golfer. And so I'm trying to practice my putting and my chipping and my long game. And it's just, it, it, it's like going to, taking my kids to Chuck E. Cheese's. You know, those little red things pop up and you're trying to hit them. I just get this one down. I can't get this one down. And that's one of the struggles you face in the, in the Christian life is doing it all at the same time. The things I'm going to share with you today, it's difficult to do all of them on a regular basis. But they devoted themselves. Here's what they are. There's four major components of discipleship that I find in this passage. The apostles teaching, that's Bible study. To fellowship, that's worship. It's spending time with one another. Breaking of bread, which is a part of worship, and to prayer. So three of them are mentioned right there. The three major components of discipleship mentioned there is the study of God's word, which we're doing right now. It's worship, which we did a few minutes ago. It's prayer, which was also included in the service. We've done all three of, three of the four. Now, what's the fourth? It's kind of interesting. Let's, let's read through here. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. 
The believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Now, that's more ministry. You know, that's a part of witnessing and outreach. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread, which is once again the worship, the Lord's Supper, in their homes, and ate together. It's also just spending time with together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, which goes back to the worship again, enjoying the favor of all the people. And here's the key thing. Here's the fourth. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, the fourth does not come out and say. The first one, it says they were apostles teaching. They were involved in prayer. They were involved in fellowship. It's just real clear. This is what they were involved in. Now, think about this. It doesn't say on the fourth one that what they were doing. But what is it? They were witnessing. They were sharing their faith. If they weren't sharing their faith, no one would be coming to know the Lord. They wouldn't be adding to the number of people those who were being saved. Now, at our BCM, when I got there, we had a fountain. And it was a beautiful fountain, but there was a leak down on the bottom of the fountain. So we came out and had a, a fountain guy come out, and we, they decided to pour a slab and, and enclose the concrete a little bit so that the water would stay in it. So then we added a pump. We got a, like a swimming pool pump. And so what happens is that water gets pumped all the way to the top, and then it overflows from a bowl to a bowl to the bowl, and then it goes back around again. That's a classic example of what witnessing should be like. Witnessing should be an overflow. Witnessing should be something that just happens. When my first daughter was born, you know, in 1981, I was so excited. I, took, I called people. I took pictures. and I sent pictures. We didn't have the Instagram like you guys got today, so we had to do it the old-fashioned way. I got pictures made, and I sent them to people. I was excited about it happening. When something exciting happens, when we won the national championship, we, we're excited about it. We tell people about it. Well, if we're excited about Christ, what are we going to do? We're going to tell people about it. If today, you're, you're here today, and you don't have a desire to invite people to come to this church, you don't have a desire, you don't, it doesn't bother you, you can drive past a neighborhood and not think about the, the lostness of the people there. Or you can sit in Tiger Stadium and not be concerned about the vast number of people that are there that may not know Christ. It's probably because you're not doing the other three. Think about that. If you're studying God's word, and if you're praying, and if you're fellowshipping and worshiping and using your spiritual gifts and all the components of those, you can't help but witness. It's just something that happens. It's just something that you want to do and say. So that's one of the, today I'm going to get, several things I'm going to do is give you a, a test, a self-test, and ask yourself, evaluate, how, where are you at? And where are you at in the area of witnessing? Are you sharing your faith? Do you have that desire to share your faith? Now, there's a lot of ways we can learn how to share our faith. We can learn different scriptures. We can do studies on it. We can learn better ways to share our faith, better ways to approach people, better ways to get to know people. But the desire, the motivation there should come from the other three. Now, let's look at a few of these components for a second. In Bible study, there's, and this is where I'm going to jump around some scriptures. Uh, there's there's f- five different ways that I want to share with you today. There's others, but there's five major ways we learn the word of God. The first is by reading it. And a good example of this is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 4, Verse 16, Christ was very early in his ministry. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, and he read. He rolled up a scroll and gave it back to the attendant. So he read this long passage of Scripture. Now, we don't do that much today, do we? Today I'm going to read several different Scriptures to you. We don't need to. Uh, last night when I was finalizing what I was going to share this morning, I realized I had left my main Bible at the BCM. So I got up this morning, drove up to the BCM, went over to my shelf, and there's 10 Bibles there. You know, most of us have four, five, six, seven Bibles, but are we reading them? 
Are we reading them on a regular basis? That's what they're there for. We're so much more blessed than the people in the New Testament. They'd have Bibles. That's why they read long past scripture, because they, the only place they had it was one place. If we only had one Bible, we'd probably read it more, wouldn't we? If we had to share it around. Let's say we only had one Bible for the whole church, and you take it this week, you take it this week, this week. But God calls us to read his word. The second way we learn the word of God is by hearing it. Now, Romans 10, 17, I'll, I'll quote scriptures I'll quote for speed. And Romans 10, 17, faith comes from our hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Now, I was an education major in college and seminary both. The sad fact is that you're only going to remember about 2% probably what I say today. And that some of you guys are thinking about, you're not even with me. How many of you guys are not with me right now? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? We forget so much, you know, of what we, like if you were, if I was, to, if, if, I'm not trying to pick on the president, let's say I was asking the last five messages the president get, how many of you could get them? You know, how could you share about it? We forget a lot. That's, that's natural. That's our learning style. So one thing, tip I want to give you, I started doing this when I was in college. I was challenged to take notes of messages. So now when I, when I hear a message, I take notes of it, write down the major points. That increases the learning retention. You know what else would help? We don't do it, but we probably should. You know what else would help the returning retention? If I stopped right now and gave each one of you guys a notes and put you in small groups and let you share about it. You know, that's why we do small group Bible study, isn't it? Because we, we learn more sometimes in a smaller group setting than we do in a large group setting. But what are you doing in regards to hearing the word of God? Now, you're very blessed today. There's other ways to hear the word of God than from just a preacher. You can hear it on television. You can watch it on you can you know, put it online. You can get some information, which is a great benefit of technology. And so one of the things I encourage you to do is how, evaluate how you're doing in the area of hearing. Now, study is a little deeper. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself to prove unto God a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What's the difference between hearing, reading, and studying? The college students would know. You know, hearing is you just go to class and you sit there and listen to somebody. Study, you're studying by yourself. I mean, uh, reading it, you can read it, but studying is a little different. You memorize things. You bring in different references. You, you, you might look it up online. You might do, it's, it's just deeper. We're called to study the word of God. And if your church is going to be a strong, thriving church in this part of Baton Rouge, God's word, the study is going to be critical. Your Sunday school attendance needs to grow. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I, judge some, I judge a church. That I'm, I'm working with you know, 1,600 churches in the state. Sometimes I'll see a church and it's running like 750 in, in worship and 200 in Sunday school. Sometimes I'll see a church that's running 500 in worship and 500 in Sunday school. Which one's stronger? The 500 is. You see what I'm talking about? You, need to be, you don't just be coming here and the preacher pressed and speak. You need to be studying God's word in Sunday school class and in Bible study groups throughout the week. You, know, you guys are having Bible study class tonight. You're doing stuff on, probably on Wednesday nights. The study of God's word is so critical. Memorization is another way we learn the word of God. Psalms 19, 119.11, most of us learn, know this verse. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Let's say the police busted in right now, and they arrested us. And they took away all of our, our Bibles. And we had to quote scriptures to each other to come up with the Bible. We'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? You know what I'm talking about? Part of the reason, too, you guys are like this. I have a lot of these verses memorized, but sometimes I forget them, so I got little notes. As I get a little older, I catch that. You see, every scripture I'm sharing with you today, if I can't quote it, I'm going to at least uh, be able to find it and read it. But it's easy as we get older, too, isn't it, folks? This older crowd over here. <laughs> to forget stuff, isn't it? And it's, it's, it's frustrating, too, to remember a verse and forget the reference. Yeah, not me, not me. <laughs> but, uh, by the way, it was real funny when I first came into church. There was nobody over here. I'm glad you guys showed up. <laughs> you know, it was like, I, usually I see people at the back, but it was like a weird, was, so I'm glad you guys are over here showed up. You were the late crowd over here, I guess. <laughs> but anyway, uh, study of God. And then the last one is, you know, I grew up in the 70s. By the way, I'll tell you a funny story about the 70s. The students at the BCM about 15 years ago, 
wanted to have disco night for TNT, just for something fun as an outreach to campus. And so I said, sure. So our praise band, you can imagine your praise band, they all came in wearing afros. And they were wearing hippie stuff. And I explained to them, I said, guys, I said, the hippies was 1965 to 67. You guys are 10 years off. I grew up during the disco era. How many of you guys remember disco? Remember that? The, the leisure suits? Some of you guys remember? You guys probably know what the heck he's talking about. Look it up. It's the ugliest thing you've ever seen. I wore one to my junior prom, <laughs> a green one. Remember that old green colors and oranges? Greens and oranges. And, uh, but the, it would come to about right here. But it's easy uh, for us to, to, to it was, so the word meditation, though, in the 60s was kind of like this, mm, remember that? <laughs> remember we had the hippies that first came out? And, and so meditation's kind of taken a, a, a negative connotation, but it's very scriptural, isn't it? And I want to read this one to you because I think, I think meditation is also a part of what the, uh, the praise band today, if you'll notice a couple times when they would, just, they would just stop, they're not singing at all, and playing music. That's healthy. That's, that's when we can meditate on God's word and we can pray back some of the things that we're supposed to be doing with him. And then, let me read this scripture because I don't think I have it memorized. My eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. So when you think about meditation as a very biblical thing, sometimes I think, of, I, I think a good description of meditation has been asked before with students is praying back things to God. We've heard it. We've studied it. We're a part of our quiet time. And we pray it back to him or we sing it back to him. I think that can also be a part of meditation. So that's Bible study. Let's jump into prayer. When I was in seventh grade, I went to, I lived in Scotts Riverside, California. And we went to a church camp. And the, the, the church camp spoke, speaker spoke on prayer that week. And he gave us an acrostic. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Anybody heard that acrostic before? And I think that that acrostic helps us understand the major... There's other types of prayer, but I think it helps us understand the major types of prayer. And I'll go through them to you real quickly. Adoration is Psalms 150, which is praise the Lord. Praise Him with stringed instruments, praise Him with cymbals, all the various things that go along with that particular passage. Praise is acknowledging God back for what He is. You know, uh, God, you are great. God, you are holy. God, you are all the different things that, that you are. Um, the C stands for confession. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's two different kinds of confession prayer. Most of us do the commission side. Commission is when we, Father, forgive me for losing my temper. Father, forgive me for not doing what I should, you know, for, for getting mad or getting angry or various things that we do that we shouldn't have done. But it's just as much a sin not to do something we should have done as it is to do something we shouldn't have done. And that's the sin of omission. And so when, as we're praying... I hope that you'll be praying this prayer. Father, convict me of people that I did not reach out to. It's really, really important that we pray that God would help us to understand the omission side of it because that's, uh, the omission side of it is the key to your church growth. If your church is not reaching out to this community on a regular basis and have some kind of outreach plan, that's a sin of omission. A church should be involved in outreach of some sort. Now, there's a variety of ways to do that. And it may be through you know, door-to-door visitation or it may be through... Vacation Bible School is a great way, or maybe through Facebook. There's so many ways now that we can be in an outreach, but that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Then the T stands for Thanksgiving. First Thessalonians 5, 16, 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In Thanksgiving, there's three types of Thanksgiving. There's the past, there's the present, there's the future. My, my uh, oldest daughter is 34. I got a 31, I got a 20, I got 20. I get mixed up, 27. <laughs> They're all about that age. Anyway, my, but I began praying a prayer of thanksgiving for those husbands when they were kids. You see what I'm talking about? 
prayer of praying through me. Like right now, you guys should be saying a prayer. Father, thank you for what our church is going to do in 2016. You know, if pray, praying a prayer of thanksgiving is not just a past or a present thing. It's also a future part of it, which is the part of faith. And then the supplication. One of my favorite passages of scripture in regards to prayer is 1 Samuel 12, 23. Look that one up with me. And I hope you'll mark that verse and highlight that verse because I think it is such a critical verse for us understanding about the omission and commission side of prayer. And this is Samuel speaking. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. Think about that. It is a sin not to pray for people. It is a sin not to pray for the lost. It's a sin not to pray for Preston. It's a sin not to pray for your brothers, your sisters, your workers, everything else. We're, it's, it's, a, it's not just something we get, get opportunity to do. It's a sin if we don't. And so that's what he's talking about here. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. And so prayer, uh, supplication. Now, one thing here that I want to talk about in the, the fourth, uh, the S stands for supplication. Now, supplication is a word we don't use a whole lot. I can share with you three or four different times it's used in the Bible. To supplicate, is a, it means to request something. So if I went up to Steve and said, hey, Steve, I supplicate you, I want to, I want to get a microphone, or I want to get whatever it is I need is to request something. There's two different ways that we, we request things from God. One is for ourselves, and the description of that is petition. And a good example of that is just the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. That's a, a petition prayer. Father, meet our personal needs. When we pray for ourselves, help me to be a good father. Help me to be a good you know, help me to provide for finances for my family. Those are all things I'm praying for myself, which is petition. The second type of, of supplication prayer is intercession. What does a lawyer do? A lawyer represents somebody else. That's what we're called to do. We're called to represent other people before God. And we're to call to stand before God and God pray that you'll help my friend, help my brother, help my sister, help my son, help my daughter, whatever it is that we're praying for. So those are some uh, types of prayer. Now, the, the third thing they were involved in, they were involved in Bible study, and prayer and fellowship. Now, a lot of times we are Baptist and we love to eat. You guys like to eat? And I've, I grew up in, uh, by the way, I've, I've, I grew up in Oklahoma, lived in California for four years, lived in Arizona for four years, worked a summer in New Mexico, went to seminary in Texas, served for five years in Arkansas, and now I live in Louisiana. So I can tell you every state from here to the coast, and you know who's got the best food? We do. <laughs> I say we because I've been here 23 years. But the food here is just unbelievable. But we think about fellowship, don't we, a lot of times think about food. We think about, hey, let's all go, let's, let's have a Sunday lunch, let's all have a dinner on the grounds. But fellowship is so much more than that, isn't it? Fellowship is spending time with other believers as, at, at, a, at a meal. And by the way, today at, at uh, 1230, uh, the pastor of Stream Baptist Church and I, I've been serving as an interim, so I haven't been able to be at, at Stream much. And I just finished that a few weeks ago. We're going to eat lunch together with his wife and my wife at Los Palmos. You know? And we're doing that, just what, what are we doing that for? For fellowship. Jeff and I know each other real well. I told Jeff when I called him and invited him, I said, he said, yeah, we'll try to come. I said, well, Jeff, I don't really care if you come or not. I want to make sure your wife gets to meet my, you know, spends time with my wife. That's important. But I will say this. I've been doing ministry for 35 years. It doesn't happen as much as it used to. There isn't as much just two couples getting together in homes or going to restaurants together. It's so easy in our busy society just to spend time with our own family for meals. But I could, I could do it. I'm sure there's dissertations and books on it. A lot of the major things that Christ taught us happened where? Around a meal. And I think it's biblical. To, and I hope you guys from time to time are having Steve and his family over, having Preston and his wife are over, having each other over. I think it's very biblical to do. We do it at churches a lot, but we don't do as much as we should in our own home. So I want to give you that tip. 
But here's some other things that spiritual uh, the fellowship also is. It's using our spiritual gifts. I'm always fascinated. By the way, my favorite instrument, guys, is the drums. I like you guitar players too. But, but my favorite, I just love watching the drums. I, for some reason, it just, it's always, and I, I, love, I love figuring out. Now, when did, I was thinking, when did that person start learning how to play? You know, how, what experiences did they have? Uh, I had a girl email me this week, and she's a worship leader, and she's coming in next fall and wants to volunteer to be on our worship team. And I met a kid a few weeks ago who's a guitar player from the streamer that wants to be on our worship team. And so I'm, I'm a real part of that. And I think, I think some of our best uses of spiritual gift is our musicians. Don't you agree? They work hard at it. They practice together. This group obviously didn't just come up here this morning, show up at 10 minutes for and put this all together. It took some time and practice. And we got the guy running the sound. You got the running. But it's important. But what are you doing? Do you know what your spiritual gift is? And are you using it? That if this church is going to be the church it should be, it's going to take you, each one of you, knowing what your spiritual gift is. Now, if you don't know, Lifeway has a fantastic spiritual gifts inventory that you can get for free. You can download it. I, I think it's important that you take some of those inventories to start learning what your spiritual gifts is. And I'll give you one cool, little quick illustration I think that best exemplifies spiritual gifts. Uh, let's, say, let's say right now Steve went out there and we decided to do a birthday cake for somebody. And he gets this big birthday cake and he's walking down the aisle right there and he trips and falls. And the, and the cake splatters everywhere. The spiritual gifts, you can tell what your spiritual gift is by your reaction to it. Now, the person that, that has service, what would they do? They would start cleaning up the cake. The person with the gift of mercy would what? Worry about Steve. Is he embarrassed? What can I do to help him you know, get back together again? The prophet would stand back, and they're kind of a pain. Uh, I can't believe you did that. You know? <laughs> what were you thinking? You know? The teacher would say, now, what can we learn from this? Steve, if you would have walked a little slower... The leader, what do I do? Okay, you go clean up the mess. You, you, da, 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 you know what I'm talking about? And the, giving, the giver pulls out his billfold. Hey, go buy another cake. So a, a spiritual gift to me, one of the best ways to understand it is how you react to something. Now, if you want to do something to react in a spiritual gift and don't, what's that? Sin of omission. See? Think about it. If you've got some desires, you see something in this church needs to happen. Well, we're not doing a very good job. Somebody comes and visits our church on Sunday morning and nobody touch, reaches out and talks to them. And you just stand back there and think that and don't go reach out and talk to somebody. What have you done? You've committed the sin of omission. And so it's real important, but spiritual gifts is a real key part. And then the, the last part of it, which I'm not, I, you guys, I can find middle C on the piano. I had to take a, a music class when I was in seminary. And it was like, it was one of the scariest things I ever did. I had to get up in front of 20 other ministers like me. None of us knew music and lead them in a song. But uh, so I don't have the ability to do the musical part, of it, but I can appreciate worship. And that's a very, very important part of what we're all about. And I'm excited about what's going to happen. I'm excited about hearing the future of your church as this contemporary praise band, I think, is going to really help you to reach some of the young married couples. Is one of the main groups you're trying to reach. Am I right? You guys need to reach that 25 to 40-year-old couple is what, what this church really needs to reach. They'll bring in their youth. They'll bring in their kids. Hopefully, they'll, they'll pay their tithe, right? <laughs> all right. The last thing I want to part that this body of believers was growing in was the area of witnessing. Now, one of my favorite passages of Scripture in regards to witnessing is 1 Peter 3.15. There's kind of an unofficial slogan. I didn't feel like it was ever my place to have an official slogan of the BCM. is knowing Christ and making him known. Knowing Christ and making him known. Isn't that what we're called to do? Isn't that what your church is called to do? You're called to know Christ today and then make him known in this community with the people you work with. And the best passage of Scripture, I think, that really highlights that is 1 Peter 3.15. Let's look at it together. 1 Peter 3.15, and I'll go ahead and quote it to you. I, I learned this one, New American Standard, so it may be a little different than what some of you have today. But it says, Sanctify Christ 
as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give reason to the hope within you, yet with gentleness and fear. What that says is sanctify Christ, which is what we're talking about today. Study God's word. Pray. Use your spiritual gifts. Fellowship with other believers. And then always be ready to share about why you're doing that with people that don't know him or people that have fellowship with him. Now, those of you from LSU know what I'm talking about. The gentleness and fear does, totally does away with what the, some of the idiots do when they yell and scream at people at Free Speech Alley. Because we're told to do it in a loving way where we still open up doors. We have groups, you may not be aware of this, we have groups that come in and they'll call students whores and prostitutes and, and yell and scream at them. And that that's not how we're to do it. But these are the passages of Scripture. The other passage of Scripture that, that goes along with witnessing is, is a methodology of how we're to witness. But you shall be my witness, Acts 1.8, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And that also is an explanation of what our methodology of being a Southern Baptist is all about. You know, which is, you shall be witnesses at Redeemer Baptist Church, the Baptist Association of Greater Baton Rouge, the Louisiana Baptist Convention, the uh, Southern Baptist Convention nationally, and the International Mission Board. You ever thought about that? That's, that's our methodology of how we're to do it. And that's why we partner together and work together so we can do what the Bible tells us to do. Now, in closing today, the praise band, the, I think our worship leader is going to come and just lead us in a song. I, this is really a, it's not really a message to those that don't know believers Christ. Obviously, you're always invited. We always don't invite someone's here today. But those of you that, that um, you know, each one of you is, that is a believer, I would ask you today to evaluate yourself. How are you doing in these four areas? And also, the church. How is the church doing? This is a great way for you to evaluate your church. How are we doing in use of our spiritual gifts? How are we doing in praying for the lost? This is an evaluation time is what will mainly be. If you feel led to come and pray, that's fine. If you want to pray where you're at, then however you want to respond. But I'll turn over to worship leader at this time.